0: Um, so I figure I'd start and tell you guys about the two fights I've ever been in. Um, I've been in two fights in my life. And so the first one, I was in kindergarten. Yeah. And uh, so I was in kindergarten and I, I was part of like the, you know, you go to school, but then afterwards, if your parents work, you like go to this like, after school, like still at school, but you basically just play outside. And, and so we were there, and we were playing. And for some reason, we would get out of school and we'd go out in the playground and this like middle schooler would always come to the playground. He was just this big bully. And he was just... We thought he was a giant. I don't know what he actually was like, but we called him the bus because <laughs> <laughs> we thought he looked like the size of a bus. And, uh, and he would come, and he would just pick on people and, and kind of like, you know, push and kick and, you know, beat up some of the, like, elementary school kids. And, and so we kind of try to keep our distance from him or whatever. And then one day, we were on the monkey bars, and the bus comes walking down and starts, like, saying stuff and being a jerk or whatever. And then... Me and my friend were literally on the monkey bars, and he takes my friend and pushes him off the monkey bars and just starts, like, kicking my friend. And, like, the dude made no sense. But, um, and uh, so I lost my mind, got down from the monkey bars, and just beat the snot out of this sixth grader. <laughs> and, uh, kept kicking and punching him until teachers pulled me off. And, uh... Then we got sent to the principal's office, and he was expelled from the elementary school. I don't know how that works, but um, he wasn't allowed on the premises again. And they laughed at me because I was in kindergarten. Yeah. So that was my first fight. Uh, <laughs> the second fight I ever got in was in high school, and uh, I was uh, I was on the wrestling team, and it was I was practicing with someone, and I think I hit him too hard in the head. Um, which was a normal thing to do, but I, I didn't punch, but I just, I hit him and he saw red and just started trying to wail on me. And to which I didn't realize we were in a fight until like halfway through. And so I was laughing while he was punching me. And that was the other fight I've been in. Um, so I don't know, you might, guys might have better fights than that, but those are the only fights I've really been in, in my life that have mattered at all but uh today we're talking about spiritual warfare and i think a lot of times when we think about that we do we think about angels demons you know maybe you think about some movie right and uh you think about 300 but with demons with those 300 have those like weird monster things um but yeah so but today we're, i want to dig in and i think what's really cool is we'll look at this but spiritual warfare is so much different than i think what our modern christianity even tells us so go to ephesians chapter six I'm going to try and be quick-ish so we can have some time to discuss. And uh, so yeah, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, I think if you were to do any Google search and type in spiritual warfare and you were to look, look up sermons on spiritual warfare, you will find lessons about demons and angels and, you know, the authorities and the apocalypse. And, you know, that's where you'll, you'll find thousands and thousands. The internet is littered with passages about that, when we talk about spiritual warfare. But as we're going to do, we're going to look at through the book of Ephesians. What I hope you'll realize is that is not at all what Paul is talking about. That what Paul here is talking about, he's making this point, he's saying, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's trying to have a repentance moment in the way that we think about our relationships, about our world that our fight is not against each other. Our fight is against Satan and his army. You know that as we dig in you'll see that that this isn't a well, there's something going on that we can't see and we have to learn to fight and how are they attacking us? It's a passage about relationships. That Satan has realized that he wants that his way to win his war against you is to get you to fight a different enemy. That Satan wants you to fight just as much, if not more, than God does in the spiritual battle. That he wants your enemy to be a different enemy. He wants you to wage war on your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how Satan wins. Satan wins when we are ununified, unreconciled, and we attack one another. He wants the church to fight, fight, and devour each other. This is the main goal of Satan. And it is littered throughout Ephesians. Satan knows that God's glory is shown in the church, that his spirit resides in the church, that the maturity, of, the maturity and wholeness of Christ comes from people in the body working together when it would be much easier not to. Satan knows that we live out our calling by forgiving unifying, bearing with one another, that the purpose, the very purpose of the cross was to reconcile us both to, back to God and back to one another. So Satan, in his infinite wisdom, works between the spaces between our ears or our mouths and other people's ears and other people's mouths and our ears. This is how Satan works. He whispers in our ears that our brother is our enemy. And not our ally. He whispers that they knew exactly what they were doing and they, they had malice deep within them, and they are the true enemy in your life. But our battle isn't with flesh and blood, it's not with one another. It's, it's, it's with the lies that Satan and his henchmen tell. So, what I want to do, I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes, we're going to go through some passages in the book of Ephesians, and hopefully, You'll have two things. One is you will get a better understanding of why the book of Ephesians was written. And two, you can really see what, what the spiritual war really is about. Go to Ephesians chapter four. Where do we want to start? In verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of Of your calling, live worthy of what you've been called to. Be completely humble, gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. He says. We live out, right? We live a life worthy of our calling by making every effort to bring unity with one another. We've been called to follow Jesus, right? This is our calling is to follow Jesus, to to submit under the rule and reign of God. And how do we live worthy of that? Through our relationships, through unifying that which has been disunified in the world, that which the world has separated, we bring together. That's what gives us worth in our calling. Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the union of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the ways and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work, it says that God gave leadership to equip us for work for the purpose of unity in the faith. And that when we have unity together, when we are unified, when we have reconciled and brought together that which the world has divided, then we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Meaning you cannot attain the fullness of Jesus. You cannot be like Jesus in his fullness without unity in the body. When there is divisions in the body, when there is divisions among brothers, when there is issues among brothers, you cannot be mature. You do not have the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what he's saying here. He's like, and then when you start to unify, when you start to bond and remend these things, then you'll no longer be an infant. Tossed back and forth by deceitful schemes. And the way that we fight these deceitful schemes of Satan is by speaking the truth in love to one another. And joining and holding each other and being ligaments as we build each other up together. How do we fight Satan? By reconciling, by working through issues, by tearing down the dividing walls, by being ligaments that hold each other together. You know, there's this uh, kung fu movie that I really mm-hmm. love called The Protector. Has anybody seen this movie? Mm-hmm. By Tony, with Tony Jaa in it. Tony Jaa is awesome. All right. So at one point though, he, this whole movie is about how he's like he has this elephant that he loves and uh, people are trying to steal his elephant or they do steal his elephant and he's trying to get it back. And at one point he finds the elephant's mom, but it's just the skeletons, oh. it's just the bones. And it's like sit there and they've encrusted it or whatever. And these like giant men, like just massively large men come in just with muscles that I didn't know exist, just like on top of other muscles <laughs> that I didn't know existed. And they walk in and they start beating him up and they like at one point pick him up and one dude like picks him up with two hands and like throws him into this elephant bones. And he grabs the two elephant bones and ties them on his forearms. And uh, he like rips off his shirt and like ties it around. And so he's got these like sharp bones on his forearms. And he just starts whacking at the ligaments of these people. And so then he hits their Achilles and he hits like right here and right here, like where the main kind of ligaments of their body are. And, uh, And he takes out these super muscular people by like, taking out these ligaments. And it's a super awesome scene. If you haven't seen the movie, it's amazing. It might be the best karate movie of all time. Um, it's so good. Um, and terrible acting, but that's a different story. But then you don't care, you just wanna see people punch each other. Yeah. Um, and so he takes them out, right? he takes them these massive dudes, by taking take out the ligaments. We're called to be ligaments that hold each other together no matter how big the church gets or how strong it is or how deep our faith is or how much the scriptures you know are called to be ligaments. You can only be as strong as your ligaments are. Ephesians four twenty five. Therefore, you must put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know, I think at first glance, you can think that that last line is a totally separate part of this thing. But it's not. He says, how do we give, how do you give the devil a foothold? How do you you give the devil a little bit of room? By not caring about your relationship with other people. By, ha- by talking poorly about people. By being angry and letting your anger control you. Which is like the main feeling we have as guys. Like as guys we have feeling one, angry. Feeling two, cool. Like that's it, you know? <laughs> that's it, like, you know? And, but what do you do when you're angry? Do you let the sun go down before you deal with it? When someone hurts your feelings or says something you don't like or says something that offends you, do you stuff it deep, deep down like Batman? Or do you deal with it? Here it says, if, if we let time go by, we give the devil a foothold when there's issues with one another. Verse 29, Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit Those who listen, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Here's another one of those passages. You're okay. He's kind of going through a list and saying some things and he throws this random phrase in there that we don't exactly understand why. But if you realize this is all in context, he's not just throwing random things in the middle of his paragraph. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We let unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We're bitter. We're angry. We brawl. We slander. We don't forgive. We lack compassion and kindness. We do the things that divide us. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside you is like, uh, wants you to be unified. He, he wants you to be close. And when we, when we attack each other, when we divide each other, when we don't resolve things, the Spirit is grieving within us. Grieving when we talk poorly about people. Grieving when we don't forgive someone for what they've done. Ephesians 3, we're going backwards in the Bible. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in his spirit and in his inner being. <coughs> so, that in, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power Together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. They may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do a measure even more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's a passage probably most of you know or have heard, probably multiple of us in here have it memorized. It says here that God's glory is shown in the church. That if we want to shine God's glory, if we want to be a light, you cannot do that solo. God's glory is shown in the church. God's power is at work within our relationships, within us, plural, not within you, singular. It says they want you to know how deep and wide and love and and high, right, is the love of Christ, and you have to do that with all the Lord's people, that you cannot understand the love of God individually. You can only understand the vastness of it collectively. And if you think about it, it makes sense Because it's hard to love your brother sometimes. Mm. And when we learn to love people that are unlovable, that are unlikable, that are unforgivable, and we learn to love and forgive and reconcile with them, then we understand the love, the power, and the glory of God. That when the world sees, how in the world do these people get along? How in the world do these people love each other? How in the world? I know what happened to them in their past. I know where this person comes from. and I know where that person comes from. It makes no sense that they're here and they love each other. That's when God's glory is shown. And you know when it's not shown? It's when those things don't happen. That is how we are most unlike the world. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he... Himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Who has made two groups, one. And has destroyed the barrier, dividing wall of hostility. This is Ephesians 2.14. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He says the purpose, that God's purpose, his desire, his plan for the cross was to tear down the hostility between us. And so when we have issues with people, when we have things that we don't resolve, we are making the cross an act of, va- of vanity. It has no purpose. When we don't reconcile. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. Thank you. It says he makes two groups. one. Oh, the, the big point of Ephesians, right, is you have this church that is all these different ethnicities, right? And you have the hyper-religious Jews and the very ill-religious Greeks, and then the hyper-religious Greeks, you know, and then you have the, the not-so-religious, you have these different people from different walks of life who hate each other. Yeah. And he says the purpose of the cross was to bring you together. Mm. was to bring you together. Mm-hmm. That's like him saying the purpose of the cross was to unify Ukrainian and Russian soldiers. Making peace and tearing down the hostility between the two. Right? Or the Chinese and Koreans, right? Chinese people hate Koreans. Koreans hate Chinese people. To tear down that hostility. To make two groups one. That's powerful. You know, to make the 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 former slave and the slave owner one family. That is his goal, to put to death. That hostility. Ephesians two nineteen. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone, in which the whole building joined together rises to become a holy temple. And in Him you two are being built together, to become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're members of God's house. And you are being built together for a place that God lives. Then when we work together, when we build together, it says God lives among us, within us. Ephesians 1, 18, last verse here. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above rule, authority, authority, Power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not in this, only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, which is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I pray your hearts may be enlightened to know this power. What is this power? This power is full like is fully manifested in the church. The power that raised Christ from the dead is meant to be seen through the church. And when people see the church, when they see the relationships of brothers, it should make them go, oh, I get how Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, it's that power? Oh, I can believe in that. When people see your relationships, do people go, wow, this makes me believe in God. When people come to church, they have more issue with people and that's why they leave? Or is that why they stay? I'm a big believer that church should be one of the hardest things for people to leave because they feel so loved and devoted to. But so often, it is a place that people are quickly leaving because they want to find spirituality on their own. Because, it's, because there's too much division in fighting. And the truth of the matter is, is you guys are in a generation after mine. And my gener- this was said about my generation, and you guys are just amplifying what we did, and that you guys are cowards in relationships. Mm. And once there's conflict, you run. right? You're a generation of what's called cancel culture, which is this concept of you said something that hurt my feelings and made me sad, and now I'm having nothing to do with you forever. Right? True. Yeah. And... Your best friends are people that you've never actually seen in person, but they play video games with you, right? Like, this is the world we live in as guys, right? Like, and, and the moment you do something that hurts my feelings, or the moment you hurt me, or we had issue, I'm done with you. I'll find someone else. I'll go do me, and you go do you. This is what defines your generation, Right? And so God's glory should be even more shown in the church, not less. It should be a place where, like, what is this conflict? You guys, like, you guys always seem like you're dealing with things. Like, how are you guys so deep? Oh, it's because we have lots of conflict that we reconciled. The truth of the matter is, nothing great is made without conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Great weapons, right, are made from striking metal together, right? Even buildings are made from lots of conflict with things, lots of tension, lots of friction. Great relationships are built in the battle with one another. Your best friends, real best friend relationships only happen when you fight and resolve things together. If you do not have conflict, then you, you will not have close relationships. Mm-hmm. And you will not have the power of God. And you will not understand the love of God. And you will not understand his grace. Mm-hmm. And you will not be able to be mature. And so you cannot, we have to learn to stop running from conflict and learn to deal with it, wow. to, to face it head on, to, to confront it, to not let it go away until it's done. You know, now that I've, I, I'm married, if you guys don't know that. So now that I'm married, um, we, made a rule, uh, like, we made a rule, like on the first day of our honeymoon, we said we will resolve conflict. And I opened this passage with my wife because I'm a terrible person, you know, and I'm like, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. <laughs> yeah. And I make a joke, like if the sun's already set, I got 24 hours, but, <laughs> but I'm like, we will not, like if we're in a conflict, you're not allowed to, allowed to leave. I'm not allowed to leave the room, Right? We are going to deal with this. And so we fought a lot. Our first year, my wife cried almost every day because I am a terrible human being. And she was like, I need a moment. I'm like, you sit down oh. and we will resolve because I'm a terrible person. And I had to learn to be graceful but and give space. But, I was, but we fought a lot. And because of that, we're close. And I know a lot of people. That they're five years, six years in their marriage, and we've never fought. I'm like, that's not going to work. And they get divorced. Mm -hmm. Lots of people, they never fought. And then it all came out, and they get divorced. We have to learn to fight. And we have to learn to fight well. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm bad at. We have to learn to fight well. We have to learn to engage in the conflict. It's sad how often I come into church and how people sit on opposite (coughs) places in the rooms because they have issue with people. Or how when I talk to people, and like, they just don't come because they have hurts and pains with people. Mm-hmm. How sad is that? That the church, which is supposed to be a place that bonds people together. That, that where people were ligaments connecting each other. is a place that divides so often. Reconciliation, reconciliation is God's plan. You can start in Genesis 3. And you will realize that throughout the entire Bible, God's plan is and has always been to reconcile people back to himself and to one another. At the end of Revelation, it talks about how there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, that God will reconcile us back to proper relationship with him and one another. That's his plan. It's always been his plan. And if we're going to be people who want to live under his reign, if we want to be people who want to follow him, then we have to be reconciliators. It would be people who fight and are ambitious to reconcile with other people, even when they don't want to. The word reconcile, if this makes makes any sense at all, is the action of restoring relationship back to wholeness. It is not, I said what I feel and you said what you feel and now we still are mad at each other, but we said cool, and we walked away. That is not reconciliation. It is to restore back to wholeness. It's to work through a conflict all the way until you, you love each other and you're devoted to just as you were before the conflict, probably even more. There are a few ways in your life that you can be more like our Lord than to be a recon- reconciliator. You wanna I wanna be more like Jesus today, reconcile. Help someone reconcile. Mm-hmm. Fight for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Be that guy. Be that guy like, nope, you're not gonna fight, we're gonna deal with it, right? Like be the one who interjects into relationships, like, nope, you're not gonna be able to be like that, we're gonna deal with things. Yeah. Yeah. Be that person. I think that's what Barnabas was, right? He was encouraging. Hey guys, hey, what's let's come together. Like, what do we need to do? Like, let's let's resolve things. And that's why he was an encourager. Paul here, the entire- throughout the entire book of Ephesians, what he's trying to explain to them is that we are no longer divided. We are meant to be one. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. When he talks about the light and the darkness, it's like the darkness is about division. It's about fighting and devouring each other. And the light is about bringing us back to God, together as one. The rest of the world, Ephesians was one of the most diverse areas in the world. He's like here, you will be unified. That's where the word Christian comes from, right? It's because they, there's so many different ethnicities. They're like, what do we call these people? <laughs> I guess we'll call them little Christ. Because they don't know what else to call them. Isn't that what we should be? Yeah. Shouldn't we be a place where people come in and go? I don't know what to call you people. Are you Democrats? Are you Republicans? Are you Libertarians? Are you non- Are you non-religious? You know what are you? You know are you you black, you white, are you Asian, you Latino, like what what are you people? You know, are you young, old, poor, rich? This doesn't make sense. You know, are you the goody two shoes or the, the people or people coming out of jail? Are you the offenders or the offended? Who are you? And we're like, yeah, we're all those people. Find a new word. That's what happened in Ephesians, in Ephesus. That's what Paul's talking about. When we come from different backgrounds, there will be friction. So we have to be people who work through it, who fight through it. We need to be the ones who guard this with our lives. That we will have tension, we will have friction, but we will not divide over it as every church throughout history has. We will be stronger for it, we'll be more bonded to one another for it. This is the spiritual warfare. We are not fighting against each other, we are fighting against Satan. Satan's goal is to tell you that your issues are unreconcilable. Mm. Satan's goal is to tell you, that, to trick you to to stop fighting him and to start fighting your brother or your sister. Mm. His goal is to tell you that they don't really want to be a Christian and their actions are showing that by the way they treat you. That's his goal. That our fight is not against each other. We are all on the same team. Every one of us in here. Are met. We are on the same team. They are on your side. If I kick Brendan in the face today, mm. I'm on Brendan's side. Yeah. So when I do it today, just know I'm on your side. <laughs> We're on the same team. Now, I might not know it, and you might yeah. not know it. we are. We're meant to be on God's team, fighting against Satan and his lies. So that's all I got.